Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by Sean Mullen in Swift Current Saskatchewan. And although, I guess I, I guess I should ask for your pronunciation, Nathan. But, touch pass there. Uh, Nathan Benson, Ryder, waiting, cuts in, he scores! Yeah, it's Ryder. Oh my! Which makes sense with your chosen profession. And we love the, I'm sure you hear that all the time, but we, we love the newspaper guys on the show and you know, be writing for the, the Daily Herald there in Prince Albert from the Raiders. First time on the show, and, and we, we, we appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the invitation. I'm on today on this wonderful, wonderful WHL trade deadline here in January 2024. It was, I mean, we always talk about it being wild, but I feel this year was, was particularly unique. I think think the main thing this year that we saw is that all the big fish were gone. Maybe partly because of Canada's early elimination at the World Juniors. You saw a lot of the big fish fall early. Mostly with uh, like Geeky. Geeky and Savoy were were gone right away to Swift Current and uh and Musha, uh, respect respectfully, and then beyond beyond that, obviously the late uh, Nate Danielson trade trade today. It was a lot of uh, minor minor tweaks for the mo- for the most part for different teams. It's not like a team gave up an arm and a leg and their firstborn child for anybody today, but uh, yeah, it was just because of because of the way the big fish fell early with Suzdalev, Geeky, Savoy. Took away a bit of the suspense from uh, from January 10th. Well, I think the big move of the day was Danielson for sure. And reminiscent to me of the 2018 deadline, which this year has had a lot of that, in that Brandon, a team that's been maybe better than expected this year, sees everybody you know, buying at big prices and kind of waits and waits and waits to the last minute to pull the trigger on their guy, which is not dissimilar to 2018 when they traded off Taspic and Plague. What's your take on, on the deal, the, the decision by the Wheat Kings and you know how that return stacks up? Well, I think, I think the thing that the Wheat Kings were kind of missing the most is that they, and the piece to me that, that made the, this, this deal work is, uh, Rhett Ravendahl, because if you look on paper of that Brandon roster, it's like they got a lot of the like the 06 with with Elliot with Alec, and then they just got a ton of 04s plus Jackson D'Souza, who's obviously a 2003. But they were they were missing that that eight that defenseman that that fits in the middle, and that's uh, Rhett Ravendahl. And I'm sure um, Chad can attest better to to Rhett's game. Than I can since I've since we hardly ever see Portland here in uh, in, in Prince Albert. But is if he's one of those defen- defensemen that maybe doesn't put up the points, but is kind of one of those unsung heroes, so so to speak, that does a lot of things in his game very very well, but doesn't necessarily jump out at you. That that's a great addition for Brandon. Plus, obviously the 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 two first round picks. I'm sure will be. Uh, Will be uh, ammunition for this team down the road if they decide to pursue um, an addition later on in a year or two. Because I think just the way the way the East Division is looking right now, as Saskatoon and 
and Mustra and I guess Swift Current as well when when they jo- rejoin the division next year. I think those three teams with, are kind of in for it this year, but they might take a step back in the future. And it's kind of looking like like Brandon and Prince Albert are going to be those two two teams fighting for it at in the in the East Division. And those two draft picks that the Wheat Kings picked up today could be could be ammunition to to pick up guys at a future trade deadline. Yeah, I was kind of a little, you know, I mean, we we had the seemed like a long gap in there where we knew that that trade went down, but we and we knew what you know was coming from Brandon, but we didn't know what Portland was sending over, and and I was really curious as to to see, and you know, that's really kind of at a at a character for Mike Johnson to to trade away uh, roster players. I mean, they it's they don't they don't do that very often, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. But it does seem like this year there is a little more of that as far as you know a year or two younger and some guys that, you know, weren't necessarily getting opportunities where they were. And so, you know, I mean, that's, you know, part of, part of building for the future. But, you know, if you have, if, if you, a year or two younger guys, well, then that's several years older than what your draft, uh, drafted player is going to be. So you're kind of like, you know, bridging that gap, so to say. And that, yeah, both Rhett Ravendall and Nicholas Johnson are, you know, players that, that, that I like, you know, quite a bit. And I feel like there's, there's good upside there, but, weren't really getting all that much opportunity here. They're kind of buried uh, on the on the depth chart a little bit, and uh, and I think that you know they should have have good opportunity in Brandon. You know the rest of the year and, and moving forward to 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 make the most of it. Ravendall being from uh, just outside of um, kind of your, your neck of the woods, Nathan, or and, yeah. uh, outside of um, PA, and so being back in the province probably be nice for him. You know, yeah. Diff, diff, Defense first, you know, I feel like it's got a little sandpaper, you know, which which you can always use, you know, especially in the, this time of year. But, you know, and, and, and Johnson, I think, has, has uh, you know, good hands and, uh, you know, good scoring touch, I think, should develop into that, I, w- I would think. Probably maybe not quite yet, but, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to see what those guys do in, the, in, the, in Brandon going forward. And I think the one thing about this trade that I want to hammer home for, for for people that don't might might not necessarily be on the pulse of the league, and they're going, why is Brandon selling Nate Danielson? This trade does not mean that the Brandon Wheat Kings are waving the the white flag on this season. The Brandon Wheat Kings are still a very good hockey team, and Carson Bjarnason is a good enough goaltender to steal a series in the playoffs if he gets hot at the right time. So just because Brandon is selling off their captain, who was at the World Juniors, et cetera, et cetera, oh no, this isn't this isn't Brandon waving the white flag at all. It's them it's them seeing that uh, this is what they can get for a guy like like Danielson, and why not capital capitalize on it to help the team in the long-term future rather than just having Danielson for an extra 30 games or whatever that are left in the regular season for the Wheat Kings and then him likely going to the American League next year as a 20-year-old. This is Brandon. This is just smart asset management at the end of the day by uh, by Marty Murray. Well, and again, you know, we've seen teams do things like this. Brandon and Lethbridge back in that faded 2018 uh season 
were teams that sold off veteran assets and still were competitive in the playoffs. And, and it allows you to get that experience. You know, something that Wenatchee might be doing as well. You get that experience from the playoff, the playoffs, but also prepare yourself for when you're better suited for really making a run at it. I mean, ultimately, not everybody can. And, and it leads to, you know, some tough decisions. If, if the Wheat Kings just stand pat, do they have enough to go toe-to-toe with Moose Jaw, Saskatoon, Swift Current, Medicine Hat, without making the additions at the kind of price that those teams made? And if they don't, then are they willing to, you know, go and seek out those pricey additions? And how many are there left? You know, who was selling? Because you look at this deadline, even Vancouver and Spokane are buyers at the bottom of the conference, uh, of the playoffs, you know, the eighth, ninth teams in the playoff race and the Western Conference are still buyers. So I, you're kind of, you know, stuck if you're Brandon. You had to either get into the bidding wars earlier or realize now is not necessarily our time and make the most out of uh, the asset that you have. And it seems like they have, from what I can say. Yeah. And to your point, Sean, I think we we talked about this a, a, a couple different episodes that, you know, if you're the Wheat Kings, you, you ran a, you know, a, an experiment to where you could see what you looked like with without this player, you know, because it's been gone since, you know, what, the first week of December. And so you kind of know, I mean, you know, same with Bliss Littler and Wenatchee and, and, and whatever else, some of these guys that, you know, you you know what you look like without them. And if you can live with that. You know, and frankly, you know, I feel like he's underachieved. You know, I don't, I don't, his numbers and Danielson's numbers in, in Brandon don't really impress me much, you know, for being a, you know, first round pick with a, with a, uh, a contract in his pocket, you know, as world juniors. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think his numbers really impress me there either. I mean, you could say that about all, all of Canada and I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, throw uh, poor sand in the wound there or anything, but you know, I mean, no, no one is really scoring, but, you know, and so I kind of, you know, what I had heard, you know, off the record here was that, you know, the Portland's brass thought that they, he wasn't really being used in a, in, in a way that was conducive to, to what he would be good at for the Wheat Kings. And I joked, well, is that the same guys that were evaluating Josh Davies and Swift Current? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, get him then. Because clearly, you know, whatever whatever they've done to, you know, unleash Josh Davies, if, if you can if you can do the same thing with this Danielson kid, then, uh, then you're really going to make some hay. Yeah, and Davies has obviously been a revolution there. And in uh, Swift, Swift Current this year with, uh, I think, Portland – if you had to grade that trade right now, it heavily skews in favor of the the winter Hawks in the, in the Davies uh, McCleary swap there. But uh, yeah, maybe who knows, maybe you throw them on a line with, with another guy who does plays the game. So, so, so well in, uh, in Gabe Klassen and he blossoms playing with, with a, with an older veteran guy like that. Cause the thing with the weak Kings, sure that they have some high end guys up, up front, but those guys are maybe a little bit younger, and you, you put them next to a to a guy like Klassen, twenty years old, been around this league a long time now. You could, I jokingly call guys ten year veterans in the WHL, but if there was a ten year veteran in the WHL, 
Gabe Klassen would be one of them, right? So who knows? Maybe he he blossoms playing playing along, alongside of a guy like that. It's funny because um, there was a post from the Grid the Grind Line podcast, which was a podcast on Red Wings prospects that suggested this deal was going to be also an opportunity to unleash Danielson and give him a, a bigger and more uh, sustainable, sustained or consistent role. And and our friend of the show, Perry Bergson, um, replied to it saying, so he's going to have a bigger and more consistent role than serving as team captain, playing on the first line and skating on the power play and penalty kill, maybe driving in a Zamboni between periods, vice president of marketing, <laughs> which, which is a fair comment from Perry. But at the same time, you know, obviously a change of scenery, uh, a change of expectations. It's not necessarily a bigger role, that's for sure. Uh, it's maybe not having to carry the entire load in the same way. You know, and and one of the players I'll get to on in Swift Current Galloway coming there. I think if I think if it's something similar where you don't have to be the captain, you don't have to be the go-to guy, you don't have to be out there in every single key situation. Maybe that can help unleash Danielson's offense a little bit. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't think this is a literal statement, but I mean, you could potentially you could drop him down to the third line in Portland. I mean, they 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 do such a good job of of mixing and matching and 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 spreading out the depth that you know. I mean, you, when when you you know they 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 play. You know, this weekend, well, I guess everybody plays weekend probably, but you look at the, you know, when they put out the lines, you're like, well, which line is the top line? And that's kind of the way that, that, they, that they've kind of always been. And, you know, even now that, you know, it, it, a heavy investment in, in a very skilled player, but, you know, they, they'll they have, they'll have lots, of, lots of opportunities to, to mix and match and, and see, uh, you know, see who, who, who's going that night and, and where they slot in. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's good, good opportunity. And, to, and I, I think I, I really agree with your, your point, Sean, as far as like, yeah, there's not going to be, you know, if, if the, the pressure on him that, if, you know, if he doesn't score, they're in trouble because they, you know, they shouldn't, that shouldn't really be the case. Yeah, and Portland's kind of built in the same manner in terms of having three lines that could be your top line. The other team that's also very much like that is the Medicine Hat Tigers. I know they, they were very quiet at uh, at the deadline this year compared to the other contenders only picking up uh, Marcus Pacheco and uh, trading Evan May to the, to the to the Moose Jaw Warriors today but I and I know they they're not making the big sexy additions that you're seeing in in Saskatoon Moose Jaw Swift Current but don't count up don't count out the Tigers in this year's uh, playoff co- playoff conversation I believe that they're only Four, they're only four points back of the Saskatoon Blades, and sure, sure they're young and a lot of they have a ton of talent in that in that 07 age group. They got um, Kane Lindstrom, who has been out for them as of recently. But why, why can Medicine Hat not make noise in the in the playoffs this year? I I think Medicine Hat is right in that conversation for a team that could win the Eastern Conference with the Saskatoon, Moose Jaw, Swift Current, those teams that have made the huge ad. Why not Medicine Hat? What's what's stopping them from being a competitor this year? I think, you know, um, a lot of times fans will look at standings in junior hockey and think, 
these decisions are made exclusively on on standings. And a lot of it is, yes, standings, but also where is a team in its cycle? So I think if you're Willie Desjardins, and I don't know where he stands on those big trades anyway, but you you look at the the cycle and the Tigers, I think everyone thought both the last two years are a little bit ahead of where they're going to peak, you know, and, and that's a great thing when you're outperforming your, you know, the, the place you're at in your cycle, that's putting you in a great position for when it's your time. But I don't know if it's their time. So if you're going to be a first place team and still a contender and still have a chance to make a deep playoff run without having to make those types of moves, and then you're in position to really go for it, you know, say next year. I mean, it's a rich get richer kind of situation. You don't have to risk it all this year. You can still have a good playoff run. You can still take a good run at it. And then you're even better positioned when you're more, you know, at the peak of your cycle next season. Whereas, and I don't know how you feel about this, um, you know, given you cover the Eastern conference, but you know, while Moose Jaw and Swift current, weren't quite at the the point totals that medicine hat was when these moves all came down. I think it's apparent that those teams are more at the stage of their cycle where now is the, is their time to really go after it. And I think traditionally with Willie at the helm, medicine hat has been more conservative when it comes to the trade market. And just as an, I don't, I don't know how much they did in, didn't have that in the past of being ambitious and going out there and moving, moving first round picks for guys. Like I don't see that being something Medicine Hat uh, does very, very often. That they've been all their championships. They very much have been draft, draft and develop focused in 03 there, 07. And I'm sorry, I don't know all the the Medicine Hat Tigers championship seasons off the top of my head. But, well, but they're in very fact, much. In fact, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I know I remember talking to Sean Clouston once, and he told me the mandate that he had from his bosses was never to never to be too aggressive buying, never to be too aggressive selling, um, because they didn't want to be too far in one direction or another, um, at, at least in terms of their asset management. And that was, you know, from the top down. So. Uh, they really ever haven't ever they've made additions and they've made you know trades but you look at the history of the tigers they're not usually a big buyer or a big seller um but they really didn't do much of anything this time and i wonder if that's because their target year is more next year yeah the like yeah they'll be they'll so they're still going to be be dangerous and they're still going to be a tough out they're they're just a a very young team and if you're looking at a team that could that that could be in the WHL final multiple seasons in a row. It's probably Medicine Hat. Well, a little it, like Seattle, uh, the last two years, right? I mean, that's kind of what we saw. Two uh, Seattle's season, they made the final before they won it, isn't it, Chad? I I try to uh, to not think about those things. I mean, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, in I mean Seattle, I mean they were for the last six years or something like that, you know, by the time they, you know, played Brandon the year, you know, the, the time before that. And yeah, they've, they've found, they found ways to, uh, to, to stay relevant. And then also, 
you know that that to me the most surprising trade of all of them. I mean, picking up uh, a second, a third, a first, a second, a third, a fifth, a seventh, and a roster player. You know, in 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 one move for you know one really good player and a couple of a couple prospects. I mean that's. You know, I, I still it's it's still unclear to me why the the Oil Kings in, in in dead last would would do that. But you know, I mean, now you're back to you know a lot of these guys that had you know went for it in recent times, figured out ways to to recoup assets. So you know, you got to tip your hat to Seattle by you know I feel that was a you know pretty a pretty astute move to to recoup a, a lot of what they had what they had moved to to move up. No. Yeah. That that said, with a lot of these teams, I can see that happening. You know, the Kamloops, the Seattle, the Wenatchee move, where you've gone all in, you've used a lot of your assets, then in a couple of years you're going to have to sell off and recoup them. Portland doesn't really do that, though, Chad. Do they? I know this, this is not turning into Pucklandia, but you know, Portland tries to be near the top every year. So how do they make up the assets that they trade in situations like this? Because they're never really a seller, at least, you know, not in my experience covering the league. No, I, I, I haven't seen them sell anything since uh, 06, 07 when they're winning like 11 games a year and they about, and they had to sell the, sell the entire team, like literally not just the players that were on it, but no, well, and typically what they've done is, you know, they did. They've done a, a, historically a really good job of of listing guys, uh, American kids that you know had NCAA commitments, and and they were able to to get them to jump ship and, and come over, and you know, th- things like that. I mean, you know, they got a, you know, Chase Delio was a, a ninth round pick, you know, when they when they won the cup, and you know, uh, that two two of their two of their overagers right now. So you know, five year players. Yeah, a couple guys there that you know they listed. You mean Stefan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. The the core of your team this year and the guys that they that they listed and got five years out of. You know, and so if you can if you can find ways to to, to do that, I mean, they they, they uh, I believe they listed you know Cross Hannis a couple of years ago. I mean, and so and it's harder to do now with with the U.S. draft as far as trying to sneak some of these guys in. But you know, and then the other thing too is is you know MJ has a reputation for being a riverboat gambler and bringing guys in but again they kind of hadn't really since you know um, the Joel Hofer trade and the uh, the Chalosky trade and so they had kind of had a couple years to to recoup some of these things and you know it's it's kind of you know I fear we eventually we're going to go back to to maybe a little more medicine hat but yeah and I guess the question is I don't know how you feel Nathan I mean we've seen teams try to do it the old way and build through the draft and not have to make the big moves. And I remember, you know, we had interviews with Colin Priestner, the general manager of the Saskatoon Blades, talking about how he never really wanted to have to do that kind of a push-your-chips-to-the-middle um, process because they'd been through how long it takes to rebuild after that. You know, the six, seven years it took for Saskatoon to get back to a competitive position after doing that twice. But invariably then all of a sudden you have the team and you see the teams around you bulking up and you have to ask, can I do it without making these moves? And does anybody these days manage to get there 
you know, without at least somewhat joining the arms race? Um, I'm not sure. You know, can you do it the way Medicine Hat's doing it this year or Portland tried to do it last year? Can you still do it that way at all? I think it's going to be a real test of that model because I think Prince George is also going to try to go go down that path also given the deadline they had this year. Sure, they made some ads, but they didn't go bonkers like some of these other other teams went, right? And they, like they, they still have their first-round pick in, in, the, in this upcoming WHL uh, prospects draft that they're going to use on somebody. And you can still get very good players at... Uh, Late teens, early twenties in that in that draft. Gabe Klassen, per, per, perfect example. I believe he was the nineteenth or twentieth overall selection in that uh, draft of two thousand threes. There, so that's I th- I think it it still can be done. I just think it's not um, it's not the sexy move to do it. The, the sexy move to do is to get your fans excited and go get all these guys right. Like go get. Suzdalev, go get Minton, go get whoever, right? And sure, that's great for this season, but Saskatoon's gonna gonna take a step back next year, like a major step back. I don't know if it'll be quite be in a, at the Edmonton Oil Kings level of step back, but it's gonna be pretty pretty major because the, some of the guys that I thought would be part of that team fight, like I thought Zach Moore would be a great player for them next year because he would get a little bit more opportunity to play top six ice time in Saskatoon next year, but he's gone in order to land Suzdalev. So I think that the draft and develop model is definitely going to still be incorporated by some teams, but I think some teams will favor the let's blow up, blow the cupboards out and and then try to recoup what we can kind of thing. Now with Prince George, and I, I don't know what you think there, Chad, but um, Mark Lamb, not necessarily a guy who's going out tossing around first-round picks like Candy. He did make a big trade for Nathan Burns almost a decade ago now. That included a first-round draft pick. But that said, you know, Prince George didn't stand, stand pat here. I think the difference with them is how they planned their roster in advance um, to open the door for making acquisitions later on that wouldn't have the same asset cost. For instance, leaving an overage spot open and leaving an import spot open. So then you go get uh, a Vallis from Regina who's got, what, seven points in four games or something like that with Prince George so far. He's a a point-a-game winger. Um, You bring him in for, you know a third-round pick and a player, and they can add a defenseman like Chase Pauls because they had that overage spot open. Big defensive defenseman, physical presence helps out your team come playoff time. Again, I think it was a third-round pick. So they avoid having to you know, make the, the big, big sacrifice of picks and prospects, but they've still been able to add to their team I think in part because of how they planned the team to have those spots open. Well, you know, I, I saw him last last weekend, and I saw, you know, Zach Funk score his 41st goal of the year, and I was like, that that crept up on me. I didn't, I didn't know the number was that high, you know. I mean, if you got 42 goals and 
you know, by January 10th, I mean, what's he going to end up with? Is it going to be some sort of some sort of number we haven't seen in some time in this league? You know, and then you have, you know, they're expecting to get Cohen Zemer back. You know, it's a fairly significant injury, but, you know, as long as you can get him in a couple games for the playoffs, knock the rust off, I mean, that's that's as big of an acquisition – you know, as 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 any of these other guys that, that had to, to move first round picks for them, so you know, I think they feel pretty good about where they're at. But I mean, but it's also similar, you know, pressure to to Saskatoon as far as a team with a long, you know, long rich history, but always comes up short and has never been able to 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 seal the deal. And you know, I mean, in in Prince George, I mean, they've won, they've only even won the division one time ever. You know, and, and haven't have not played for for a championship. You know, and so that's, you know, there's a, there's definitely, you know, which which again isn't Mark Lamb's deal, and it isn't Zach Funk's deal, but you know, it isn't it isn't Colin Priestner's deal or uh, you know a uh, geeky, but you know they they still you know as far as the community, as far as the fan the fans have been going to these games for years. I mean, there's there there you know they're. Uh, you know, I mean, we we saw that for a, a couple of years back with Prince George when they the last time they loaded up in 2017, and 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 uh, and, and they it came short. So I mean, yeah, we've seen kind of both both those clubs kind of you know both approaches as far as you know slow and steady, and then you know to hell with this, we gotta we gotta add some guys, you know. And I think the the one club that's gonna maybe make guys want to do the draft and develop a little bit more in the next couple of seasons is call me, call me biased all you want, but look at what the work Curtis hunt has done in Prince Albert over the, since, since the, since the bubble season, you sell Caden Gooley and you got a treasure trove of assets for Caden Gooley who played a grand total, including playoffs, 44 games with the Edmonton oil Kings. You got, a first round, two for the two first round picks turned into Cole Pearden, who is still developing, going to be going to solid solid player right now. But but I think there's still an extra step or two that that uh, Cole Pearden can take. And the other first round pick was just the the first turned into the first overall pick in this past draft, and that's Daxon Rudolph. Daxon Rudolph is 15 years old, but he could quarterback any power play in the Western Hockey League right now. He's that he's that good of a defenseman. I watched him at I watched him at camp this past year and thought he rem, the player he reminded me of was Landon Kozier. As a 15-year-old, he's reminding me of Landon Kozier who was a standout 20-year-old this past last season. And Gooley was a guy you drafted you developed, and w- when he's hitting his peak, and and you, his peak as a player, in the in this league, and you and you look and say, it's not quite like we we don't quite have the team to make it to that championship. So so you move him, you get a treasure trove of, of stuff back. Similar situation with Nolan Allen, homegrown player for the Prince Albert Raiders. Nolan Allen hits his hits his nineteen year old season, and looking at the team around him, you realize we need a little bit more. We need a little bit of help up front, and you're able to move him to 
Seattle, a team that was also going all in and very much appreciated the services of Nolan Allen in their championship run last year. I don't think Seattle's nearly as good of a team if they don't last season, if they don't make that trade when they do. And you look at some of the guys who got back, Brain Brain Doobie and Easton Kovacs are still on the active roster for the Raiders. You have you had the seventh overall pick in the last draft and that turned into Ty Ty Munier. Plus you still have the Thunderbirds uh first round pick in this coming draft, which if the season ended today would be have the second best odds at being the first overall selection. Which if Curtis Hunt turns Caden Gooley and and Nolan Allen into the first overall pick, he's practicing some form of dark arts. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, it's, you know, we, we've mentioned it, you know, in previous episodes about when, you know, Kelly was in Brandon and it seemed like he would do that on the regular, get the, you know, these, these ultra high picks, you're, you know, that you're, you're, you're taking what Stelio Mateos and, you know, guys like that. And, but you know, in this case, you know the 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 PA Raiders had the the benefit of, of of winning the the last championship of the of the before times, you know, to to show for it, and then turn around and recoup some of this. So it's you know it's kind of like what we've talked about some of these other teams that you know have figured out ways to to recoup assets a little quicker than you know than the than expected. Seems like uh, seems like the Raiders are kind of on that that same that same trajectory. Just you know, we, maybe a little bit sneakier. We didn't notice it as much. Well, and if you look at, you know, Kamloops, Wenatchee, and Seattle in particular this year, the job they've done in recouping and restocking has been extraordinary. And in part because there's been so few sellers, so so much of the of the shopping went through those three teams, and they aggressively got it done and were able to get you know, substantial assets out of most of what they had available. Now, Sword doesn't seem to move from Wenatchee, so that's that's interesting. But, I mean, look at Kamloops today. Trade a couple more, you know, good 19-year-old players and some more significant draft picks. And and at the same time, you know, some surprising, uh, somewhat surprising ads. I mean, one team, I don't know how you feel, Nathan or, or Chad, but, you know, we talked to Steve Ewan uh from the Vancouver province about the giants, maybe adding to their roster, but they go out and add a couple of veteran pieces and pay some substantial prices to do it for a team that's sitting in eighth place right now. Um, what's, what's your take on that? And, and you know what the giants are trying to do. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I saw the giants here on Tuesday. They beat the Raiders six, five in a, in a shootout. Sure, their defensive play wasn't where it needed to be in that third third period. But, oh my, how many, they're where they are in the standings now. Right now, they're, they're battling for a playoff position in the, in the Western Conference. And their best player has played, what, six, seven games this season in Samuel Hanzik. Like, I was watching him play and I'm like, wow. Not not many guys I watch in this league that just blow 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 your socks off with watching them live in person. But Samuel Hanzik was a, was a special player to watch. He really impressed me with with the game he played here in Prince Albert the other night. And 
you get you get him back in the lineup, you give you give him more of a supporting cast to go with Jaden and Lipinski. I don't know that 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 Giants team feels a lot better than an eighth place place team to me. I'm not saying they're gonna they're they're not gonna beat a a Portland or a Prince George in the first round. But who knows? Let's say they they get hot, they climb to maybe that six spot in the standings. They could win around easily, easily. Brett Mirwald's had a fantastic season in goal for them. They they could be they could make a little a little bit of noise. Not to mention the I like the Tyson Zimmer addition from Lethbridge just because of his positional versatility. He can play seam, seamlessly slot in any three four any of the three forward positions you want him to play. I don't know. I maybe recency bias here because I because I saw them literally the other day. But Vancouver, Van, Vancouver is a good young young team, and I think some of these additions that that they make will help them make a little bit of noise down the stretch. Well, as things sit, you know, on on deadline day, I mean, they're they're four points out of that sixth slot, you know, and yeah, you you get. If you jump up to that, you can avoid, you know, the, the the top two teams anyway. Then then that's you know gives you an even better chance. And you know they and we we talked to Steve Ewan. I mean, he talked about how they hadn't you know done much lately, and they sold the last couple deadlines, and people you know kind of wanted to see see a little bit more out of them. And but yeah, but you don't want to you don't want to mortgage anything. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting. Interesting move there, but yeah, to your point, as far as you know, we haven't seen him with a, a fully you know functional Hansik, and so you know what is what does that team look like? And and uh, you know, it sounds like you've you've seen the future a little bit. Well, and let's not forget, you now you look at the standings or you look at the schedule, and Vancouver plays Victoria five more times, so they're quite a quite a fair bit behind Victoria. But if you get on a run and you make some hay out of those games. And that gap closes too. And if you can get in the mix, you know, Wenatchee's bound to fall off. Uh, I don't know how much, but certainly from the pace they had with, you know, their star players in the lineup. So if they can gain on Victoria, if they can gain on Wenatchee, if they can get up to six, all of a sudden you're talking about fourth or fifth. You know, that's a team that has a chance to make some noise. So they're they're betting a lot on being able to do that because if you end up in a first-round matchup against Portland or Prince George or somebody like that, that's not a, an ideal situation when you've paid a price to add, but um, certainly seems like a team that's better than their position. And when you're when you're looking at you know Nathan, when you're looking at the the three teams that I mentioned in the Western Conference, your Kamloops, your Seattle, your Wenatchee, um, would you say those teams have job than we could have anticipated uh, in recouping? all the assets that last year they had to, to pay to do what they did. And I, I remember, you know, doing shows like this last year around this time going, oh, my God, it's going to be years and years of, of pain for those teams. And it seems like they've been able to get so much of what they spent back already. I think Kamloops is kind of the gold standard of getting getting back got, getting back picks, picks and assets. Because I mean, Jordan Keller's been a good addition for to that team since they picked him up from the Saskatoon Blades. He was a little bit lower on the depth chart in Saskatoon, but now that he's in his hometown, I don't know. Home cooking helps a little bit, maybe. He's he's been a good addition to that to to that team. Seattle, I thought 
the one name I liked in Seattle that I thought would be on the way out somewhere as, as an overage defenseman would, it was uh, Jeremy Hansel. I thought Seattle would find a dance partner to take him. I thought someone would be very interested in his services, but uh, he's remaining there in Seattle and, and Wenatchee. I've, and Wenatchee, I don't know. I just look back to last season. And if you don't make the Zaka Stopchuk trade last season, you don't have to sell Geeky and Savoy. You gave up three first rounders in that deal for half a season of Zaka Stopchuk. And and at the at the time of that, that trade, I'm looking at it, I'm like not to discredit Zach of Stopchuk, great elite hockey player. But did that team, that team was already so good. I don't think they needed a, they needed an a Stopchuk. I don't know. Even just looking, maybe hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm judging this trade a little bit harshly late later. But I I feel like the the Stopchuk trade was a trade for riches that Winnipeg didn't need at last year's deadline. I don't know if, what do you guys think of that? Because, uh, if they don't make that a stop truck trade, you could argue they don't make the, the trades here for, uh, like Savoy and geeky could all, could still be there if they don't make that uh, Zach stop truck trade a year ago. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, pretty valid point. I don't think I'd looked at, you know, I'm kind of just taking all of, all of their moves in as a whole, rather than kind of looking at each, particular one and you know they uh you know again that that poker game was 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 pretty high stakes too and you know you kind of wondered how much you know Winnipeg ownership you know saw the writing on the wall there and you know I'll I'll be gone you'll be gone like that you know guys on Wall Street look at it like you know if we run into the ground like whatever like we'll just leave (laughs) you know what I mean but you know, and, and side note, you know, again, we love the newspaper guys on this show. Shout out to Mike Zawatsky, who, you know, caught a lot of shit for, you know, writing about the, you know, league pushing him on a building. And, you know, I think he, I don't think he covered any more uh, ice games after that. And then, uh, you know, it turns out, looks like, looks like he was right at the end. I think we've, I think I've given props before, but just because it's, you know, a, a timely topic right now, but. But yeah, I mean, it is, and it is frustrating, you know, for for the, the the wild fans to, you know, have to walk away from this team. But you know, again, I think they also did a pretty good a pretty good job of, of, of setting them up for the long term. And you know, when we've had Bliss Littler on, I mean, they are they are invested in that community, you know, whatever league they're playing in at the time. And so they're gonna they're gonna try to make it work for the in, in the long run, which you know turns out this is you know likely the right move. Now, uh, switching gears a little bit, um, back to the Eastern Conference, you know, we talked about Brandon being a team that decided to sell and Medicine Hat being a team that decided it wasn't necessarily the right move to, to do an aggressive buy. Uh, um, we know what Saskatoon has done earlier and later. I mean, they, they got the paddock today, the, the big defender, so they've made a lot of the key additions to their roster, um, and they've been near the top all season. So for you, Nathan, you know, covering the Eastern conference, seeing uh, the two teams that have been sort of hovering uh, more towards the middle of the pack, but you know, I've had in Swift's Swift current's case, all sorts of injury issues and coaching issue and stuff they had to overcome. And Moose Jaw's case, you know, some injuries and guys away for world juniors and 
all of that. But when you look at what those two teams have done to try and position themselves to be right there with Saskatoon and Medicine Hat in the in the race for the Eastern Conference, what do you think of what they've done and how well positioned are they to you know challenge for that East title? So sorry, sorry, Sean, I was going out for a second. Which two teams are in, in the so question current, here? Both so current and Moose Jaw. Yeah, like Moose Jaw, I think the one move I think we were discussing this earlier on on uh, on Twitter today was uh I like the addition of Evan May as as a vet, veteran goaltender so they don't have to play so Jackson Unger doesn't have to play like sixty six games this season in in goal for the Moose Jaw Warriors. They can they can give him breathers and make sure that they have a healthy number one goaltender going into the, the postseason because they'll need that. And Swift Current is kind of a fascinating roll of the dice because I think you guys have talked about it on the show before, is that they haven't had they ha the whole gang hasn't been there all year long. They've had Vidston out, they've had Dick out, they've had all so all sorts of things. So they haven't had they haven't had a full cast of characters in Swift Current probably all year, if I'm not mistaken. So, and if we're talking about cycles, I, I feel, I think Swift Current, Swift Current, and Mustra, like if they match up against Saskatoon, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be. It's easy to see all the moves on paper and say, oh, Saskatoon's gonna be our overlords in the Eastern Conference. No, that's not how it works. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a bloodbath, and it would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form if a Swift Current or Mustra beat Saskatoon in six or seven games. Not not at all. It's going to be... If any of those three teams match up against each other in a, in a playoff series, it's going to be a six or seven game epic is what we're, is what we're going to see. And I, and I think as a... I know I, I report covering the Prince Albert Raiders, but as, as a hockey fan in general, you got to be... You got to be stoked if you're watching the Easter Conference because it's going to be like Roman Gladiator fight to the death kind of thing is what we're going to be seeing here out east. Well, I think one of the things you know, you you make a trade for Connor Geeky, and that's going to draw a lot of the focus of what the Broncos did. Um, and, and certainly, you look at his numbers, and that draws a lot of focus. Swift Current could score goals, and, and Geeky's not going to not going to hurt you there. He's going to help you for sure, um, but he's also a big center. He's a physical presence. He wins battles. He can kill penalties. He was, he was out there on the first penalty kill of day one with the Broncos. So he does a lot of things. And, and so his addition is not just to me about scoring goals. It's about everything that he does. And, and it's those little things that I think the Broncos were missing, you know, a team that gives up four or five goals a game too often, especially with Dick injured. Now he's back and hopefully he's going to be healthy, but the way that they've remade their decor you know, they get Dvorak for free um, coming over from Czechia, second-round pick of the uh, LA Kings because he decides to make the jump to the CHL, and they convinced him to. And they make this trade. They Earlier this season brought in Turner from Brandon, and they make this trade today to get Galloway from Calgary. And, of course, anytime you trade for an overager and you have good ones, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit, and they lose a guy in LaVenture who goes to Victoria for a fifth-round pick and is a great addition for Victoria without very much cost. And I think that's an underrated move by Victoria because they get a big upgrade uh, on their wing there. But 
Swift does have a lot of offense to spare. So you bring in Galloway, who's been a captain in Calgary, an NHL draft pick, who's you know six foot four, two hundred two pounds, skates well, does a lot of little things well. Um, but it's the overall impact on the decor, which now has an average height of six foot three, uh, six foot three point six. So almost an average height of six four on their blue line, an average weight of one hundred ninety two pounds. That that defense looks pretty intimidating in a building like uh, Credit Union Center, Credit Union Place, whatever they're calling it these days. <laughs> Innovation Plex. Innovation Plex, sorry. Um, I should know, but I used to get to call it the Iplex. But you you know, you know, already had the, the great scoring on that team, and it's a top-nine group that, once Matt Ward is healthy, assuming he will be, is going to be dynamic. But you're bearing down on a pretty scary group on that back end. I think that's the biggest transformation that the Broncos have made. Like, it's going to be, if this is a playoff series, some of the dynamic skill, the, the matchup that's that's going to be fun to watch if this happens in the postseason is going to be some of that high-end skill that Saskatoon possesses. Like, for example, that Trevor Wong, Igor Sidorov, Brandon Lazowski line against that swift current blue line because i don't know it kind of reminds me a bit of what like you look at last season especially with Lethbridge, they had some big defensemen it, it was almost a similar situation with a, a couple exceptions you had to be six foot two or taller to be on that blue line like like you, like you go like like peter anholt walks into his office or Lethbridge hurricane scout is looking at defensemen and they have like they have like one of those things that you see see at see at the at the country fair that say you need to be this tall to ride this ride <laughs> but you need you need to be six foot two to be a defenseman that's what it seemed like in Lethbridge last year obviously Logan McCutcheon who's more of an offensive guy was was, was a difference and and uh Doyle Doyle what's his first name Doyle the the 06 defenseman that they have there his name Tristan Doyle does that sound right? Slips That's my mind. Right. Slips my mind at the moment. But uh, with a, with a couple of those exceptions, that was a big Lethbridge blue line, and and that's why Lethbridge ended up finishing where they did in the standings last year. It was a big credit to that blue line with guys like Joe Arnson, Chase Pauls, Nolan Bentham. That's why Lethbridge finished fifth last year's big big contribution to that that blue line. And that's you're going to see the same thing here in Swift Current probably the rest of the season. Is that that blue line's going to allow you to win that. 3-2-2-1 hockey game moving forward. Yeah, you know, and that's something, you know, talking about Prince Albert earlier, I mean, you know, now that we have a, a balanced, you know, it's still, it's a little weird. It's probably the, you know, a good thing that, you know, we have the same amount of teams in the, in the East and the West that are going to make the, make the playoffs. But, you know, that being said, I mean, 500 gets you in, that's still like you still got to be a really good team in the East right now, even even with you know one you know one team less in the in the you know the the, the hunt. So I mean that's you know it's 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 not going to be easy to, to 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 get in there and get some experience and, and to try to or or to try to move up and, and, and avoid Saskatoon. I don't think the because here, here's the thing, like with the way that teams identity is in that locker room in Prince Albert. I don't think they care they I don't think they care who they play in in the first first round 
and whoever they play in the first round, they're going to push. They're going to push. They're not going to... If they're an eighth seed and they're playing Saskatoon, arguably one of the more bitter rivalries in the in the Western League. And that's... Prince Albert's not going to roll, roll over. Max Hildebrand is... From, from talking to, to Jeff Truitt and, and talking to his dad, Steve, who's the the Blades assistant general manager, um, Max Hildebrand is probably the most, one of the most competitive people you know. According to his dad, he I joked with his dad, I said, uh, he hate, uh, Jeff, Jeff told me he's super competitive and he'd probably hate to lose at tic-tac-toe. And Steve said, you're absolutely right. So if you got a guy like that at your... And if your team can embrace some of that attitude that your goaltender has, Prince Albert's going to be, be be a tough tough team to pl- to play against. They're physical. They're not af- not afraid. Of, they're not afraid of anybody. Doesn't matter who you throw at them. They're they're not afraid. I, and I think, go ahead, Sean. Well, I'm I'm not surprised to hear that. That's kind of a culture they normally build. And again, I I reference 2018 so often because there's so many parallels, but. Raiders finished uh, in a position to play the top-ranked team that year, too. And it was against Moose Jaw in a series that went seven. And the Warriors got out of that by the absolute skin of their teeth before getting knocked out by Swift Current in the second round. So um, it would be interesting to see that kind of replay itself um, with a matchup against Saskatoon. Um, And I think it kind of went the other way around. When the Raiders had their run, they had to play Saskatoon. And when it went the other way... and and Saskatoon pushed them. So anytime those two teams play each other, if, if it ends up ever being a first-round series between them this year, uh, you know that no matter how much of a favorite Saskatoon is, they're not going to come out of that without some bumps and bruises. Exactly. And the longer... If, if you're, you're Saskatoon, you want to beat the Raiders in four or five. You don't want to play six or seven against Prince Albert. Because... Here, here's the thing. Let's say it somehow happens that the series is three games to two for Prince Albert coming back to the Hauser. Good luck. Good luck. That you, you've you've been in that building before, I assume, Sean. It's it's a very different building, and it's a different animal playing at the Art Hauser Center playing than playing at any other rink in the Western League because because of the way that the seats are. It's a much more intimate venue. And if the fire chief looks the other way and they can bring the milk crates back, back it gets even more intimidating. Now, one, one thing uh, I'll say, last trade deadline show, shows we did, I got a couple messages saying we didn't talk about Moose Jaw enough. And we did mention the one move they made for May. And, I mean, that's a, you know, a small move to add a little bit of experience to, in the backup goaltending position. But the big thing they did, of course, was the, the addition of Savoy and um, you know, they've had some of their star forwards away with team Canada as well. So when they finally get all of that weaponry back, I mean, this is a, a Musha Warriors team that, you know, without those guys, they've gone around 500 um, that should score an absolute ton. I mean, once they get to really play with the, the toys they've amassed, what do you make of what we're going to see from Moose Jaw's lineup and how Savoy could be a, a, a fit there and what a difference maybe the most dynamic player in this league right now um, could make on that Warrior roster? That's that, the 
I don't know. I don't. We the one addition that I think kind of goes under the, the radar in Musha a little bit. Like, sure, they got Savoy, they got Evan May today, but the more I watch Musha, the more I notice him is Brain Sherman. He is a fantastic player, and he's been a more like a third liner for them with the additions that they made. I love I love the way Braden Sherman plays plays hockey. And he he's a dangerous player. They got him from the Royals at the start of the season as part of the Caleb Parker deal. But I love his game. Savoy. So Savoy if he plays alongside of like a Jagger Furkus. Good luck. Good luck. That's all I gotta gotta say because Furkus, you give that guy an inch of space, he's gone. Quick release, very very fast skater. Furcus, there's a there's a reason that they've printed quite a few of those Furcus Circus T-shirts in Moose Jaw this year because Jagger Furcus is that good of a hockey player. Yeah, my and my apologies to our listeners in, in Moose Jaw for apparently not not doing a good enough job, you know, giving you content. But and a team that we overlook a lot, and you know, didn't make a lot of moves in in, in this one. But you know, we talked, we mentioned Victoria a couple times, and and they, I don't know about anybody else, but they kind of snuck up on me. I didn't, I didn't realize mm-hmm. they were climbing in the standings until just the other day. I mean, you know, with the, you know, moving out, you know, their coach and bringing in James Patrick, I kind of, you know, you just kind of figure that. You know, it's like Blackwell. We just went through Black Monday in 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 the in the, in the NFL. You think it's teams that are kind of, you know, starting over, and then next thing you know, they're they're right there pushing Everett, and not real far behind Portland. I mean, that's kind of that's a team that, you know, I didn't I didn't think was going to be a, a factor, and then all of a sudden is. I think a lot of credit, partly because of the team's performance and how well he's done as a sixteen-year-old. And he would if the season ended today, I would tell you guys he would be all I would I would be I, I would be preaching to anybody that listens that Cole Reshny needs to be the needs needs to win the Jim Pickett Memorial Trophy for this season. Sure, Tarek Parasak has been great in Portland, but I think Cole Reshny's been more valuable to his team than Tarek Parasak is in Prince George. Sure, the numbers jump off the page, but as a true 16-year-old, former third overall pick to be a point-per-game player, as a true 16 in the Western League, it's very, very, very difficult to do. And Cole Reshney has been playing alongside of like Dawson Pasternak and being on that top line in Victoria. He's a big part of what that what the Royals are doing this year. And I don't know. Sure, he gets he gets a lot of attention, sure, but he deserves it. He he deserves it because he's been a huge reason for that team being what they are this season. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Cole Resting. I've been watching him, and with my duties with HN Live, had a chance to broadcast his games many times. You know, when he was a U15 player, or when he was at U17s this year, and Sometimes, you know, you, you hear so much talk about McKenna and the same age group that uh, Reshny doesn't get maybe the, the talk that he he should get. You know, led the Saskatoon Blazers to a, a league title and a trip to Nationals last year, too. I mean, he's a winner. 
he's been a winner everywhere he's gone. He was a winner with NAX, a winner with the Blazers, and certainly an extraordinary talent in Victoria. But you know, James Patrick, uh, the difference he made, you know, he came in for a couple of years of a real down cycle for Kootenai. And since then, all he's done is win, right? Like his, his win percentages in his last four years with the Winnipeg ice were 611, 771, 816 and 846. And then he comes in to Victoria after they get off to a slow start and suddenly they're in the top four. So, you know, what does that say about James Patrick as a coach, right? I mean, he certainly has to have talent, but um, you can't bet against teams that he's coaching, certainly at the junior level. And Victoria, as you said, kind of goes unnoticed. And I, I did briefly mention before the addition of LaVenture. But I, I really like that for them because, you know, they're, I don't want to – I never want to look down on any particular player – people give different things but what the royals were getting from their third 20 year old spot in my mind anyway was you know not what you typically look for from uh from 20 year olds right so, so matthew hodson's kind of like your 16 points it's a good player but you usually want your overage players to, to bring significant impact. You get LaVenture in, who's got 15 goals already. We're at the halfway mark, you know, on pace for 30 goals and a point-a-game player. And you're already a team that's made some big strides. That's a nice under-the-radar addition there that only cost them a fifth-round draft pick. So Victoria, another franchise that keeps their powder dry, but gets better, and nobody's talking about yeah, and I actually s- spoke t- recently with uh, three players on on the Victoria Royals, that being uh, Nate Miskey, who's from Melfort, Saskatchewan, uh, Jane Krause, their second-string goaltender, who's from Prince Albert, and Logan Pickford, who was going to be the captain of the Prince Albert Mintos before he made the team the, the team in Victoria this year. But uh, I asked Nate and, and Logan kind of what they noticed about the coaching change between... Um, between Dan Price and James Patrick. And the one thing that stood out to me is when I talked about Nate is how he talked about um, how much Patrick preaches playing a strong defensive game. That's the one thing that uh, he has emphasized heavily to that team since he took over the head head coaching role because to play play a strong defensive game. Not saying Dan Price wasn't doing that before in that locker room, but that's something that that James Patrick has r- really heavily em- emphasized since he took over that coaching role in in uh, the start of November. There, well, I did want to mention that I know I know we talked about Danielson at the beginning, but I've been sort of keeping my eye on on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, um, and and I've seen a, a tweet from our old friend again Perry Bergson who mentioned uh, for anyone saying because. You know, Jeff Merrick mentioned Danielson in conjunction with Portland a few weeks ago that this was just a fait accompli, that there were, according to uh, Marty Murray, as many as eight teams involved in the pitch for Danielson today. It makes me wonder, you know, when you look around and say, I wonder why this team didn't do more. He said it came down to today that the decision got made. And we can speculate, but I wonder who else was 
in the mix on on Danielson because if it came down to today and the, the deals on Geeky and Savoy had been done for a while, at least that was the speculation, who else was in on him? Who else was looking to pay that big of a price? Because we didn't see anyone else, at least in the last couple of days, make a move that substantial. I I had heard that the that the silver tips were were looking. I don't know how seriously. I don't know what the what the prices were. I mean, they didn't seem to to, to do a lot today. Very you know, certain nothing splashy. I mean, you know, you wonder, you know, you wonder how much the Red Wings had something to say about it. I mean. You know, I tend to, you know, every every year at this time, I, you know, take a couple cracks at, you know, McTavish trading, you know, dry side a lot out of Prince Albert there. But, you know, it seemed like it seemed like the Oilers had more say in, in, in the way that was going down than than anybody that was actually at the Western League level. I mean, you know, I kind of wonder if the, you know, the, there have been Red Wings prospects on the on the Winter Ox before, you know, guy like uh, Dominic Turgeon or. Uh, uh, who's the defenseman we talked about earlier? Uh, um, I'm doing this again, but the uh, uh, Chalosky, Chalosky, you know, and some some of these guys. So uh, you know, you wonder, you wonder if, if that had anything to do with anything. But you know, but that doesn't that doesn't get you another another draft pick out of the deal if you're if you're the Brandon Wheat Kings. So, but yeah, that, that is that is interesting that you know Marty was 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 you know given that information out because that's always a it's always a thing, you know. We we like to consume as, you know, as fans of the league, but you know, you don't you don't always eat to, to get to see that stuff. Well, and you wonder. We talked about what Prince George did and didn't do. You know, Mark Lamb, uh, not normally a huge big swing guy, but was he down to the wire with a rival in Portland, um, either really interested in Danielson or driving up the price? You know what I mean? Like, it, you're always wondering about that. You know, it was Everett in on it, and were they really interested in making that move, or were they helping drive up the price? Uh, Victoria made a small move. Were they in on a bigger move? Uh, on you know the, the eastern side, does Medicine Hat, who doesn't make that big move either, were they in on it? And it came down to the end. You you really wonder. You know, um, you'd have to hope that any of those teams, if they really were willing to go in big. Um, they weren't waiting until the last hour, but you, you wonder how many of the teams that didn't do it were still in that conversation about Danielson and how serious they were. Uh, the, the thing with Everett is that um, for Everett, they they made a really good under-the-radar under the move early, getting Parker Berg, who's having a tremendous season from the Regina Pats, and it only really cost them a second round pick because Ty Gibson goes the other way as collateral with with the 20 year old situation but it only cost a second round pick to get a guy having a career year as a 20 year old on on that back end that was exceptional pickup for them and then the other thing is that Everett's been one of the more injured teams in the league this year so as they start to get some of the guys that they have in-house healthy they're gonna be become that more that much more dangerous. I I wanted to touch and and you know, having my experience with Mark Lamb for as long as I did, and maybe maybe I overrate, but it just seems like he has a touch for those small moves paying off into something more. So I I'm just looking at that trade for Evan Graining. I, I imagine is how he pronounces it from Brandon 
for a 10th round pick and graining sent down by Brandon this year has, I think it's nine points and seven games at the junior A level or something like that. Since going back down 18 year old, I'm getting tweets that he's a good penalty killer. Just watch, you know, from what I've seen with these types of additions that he's made in other years, he's going to end up being a third line penalty killer in two years from now signs a pro contract. That's just the way that those kinds of small moves work in his radar. So we'll see, you know, which of these types of moves, we always talk about the big ones, but which of these little types of moves ends up being ones that wins or loses playoff series. Yeah. It's and, you go ahead. And, and like, I don't know if you call it a, call it a smaller move, but I think the one move that I think could pay dividends off in uh, in Lethbridge, sure they made they made the big moves to get uh, like Shigel and uh, Dylan Sidor, but they also picked the Peyton Pacola today from the Prince Albert Raiders for a third round pick in 2027. He is a tremendous penalty killer, and if you're gonna if the standings hold right as they are right now, Lethbridge would play. Medicine Hat in the first round, who is a very, very, very high-skilled team. You you blink on the power play and they and they scored on you. They they could use a guy like that to play some key penalty kill uh, against teams like teams like that uh, if they end up playing one of those top teams in the first round. So I think that like we often see Peter Anholt he'll either stay stay par for the course for the moment or or we see pistol pete anholt like we've seen this year and i think that that was that's an addition that people might might look back and and uh sure Packlet doesn't necessarily put up the point totals but he blocks will block shots for you plays a very strong defensive game as a centerman and he'll fit right in in that middle middle six in lethbridge and maybe move, move the needle for them a little bit here down the stretch do you wonder like are they doing two different things? Because, you know, they make some additions like Sador and like you're talking about there, and then they trade away Zimmer, right? Is it a, are those contradictory moves, or do you think it, it's a it's a reshuffle? Like, what do you think is happening in Lethbridge there? Um, I think the thing with with uh, they needed another more of a power forward type in Lethbridge, and I think that's what Colton Lanko from Vancouver brings to the table and you're getting a guy like that plus extra assets, like including a second round pick in that deal in this, in this coming draft. I think that's how that's something Lethbridge kind of, kind of needed was to, to switch up the player types that they kind of, kind of have there. Cause uh, like they have those, get those kind of skill scoring guys in, in like Logan Warmold and uh, Miguel Marcus, who's a very, talented hockey player but they, they kind of needed that that type of guy that that could be that physical power forward type they needed another guy like that in that forward core and i think they have for for quite some time and that's kind of from what i understand the bill that uh lanco is going to fit there in Lethbridge. well and it's you know a small thing and it's off the ice but you know the the, the first thing i thought of when you know dylan sador got traded out of Canloops is, you know, essentially 
you know, it, his his dad is is part of the ownership group there. You know, it's like you don't you don't trade the boss's kid away without you know some <laughs> some serious discussions going down. I would I would think. I mean, but it's you know that's a it's 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 a hockey trade. I'm sure that Daryl Sador was traded any number of times. You know, in his career, so just we'll get it over with. You know, early, but I mean, I just you know, and I watched you know a little bit of the the Lethbridge game the other night, and I you know I saw that you know. It was weird seeing Sador on, you know, wearing number ten for, for for Lethbridge, but you know here we are. But that's just a, just something I thought of, you know. Well, they make two substantial additions, um, uh, you know, filling those overage spots. But then, yeah, you trade Zimmer and you get some of those assets back. So I assume like the, the decision making there is thinking, you know. Um, that trade helps also helps us get some of the assets we need to make those additions. Uh, and, and you kind of hedge your bets a little bit by doing that, but it, it'll be interesting to see where Lethbridge lands because the teams that are above them were a little more clearly um, going after it, you know, uh, and how are they going to then stack up with your moose jaws and the swift currents in the, in the race in the standings? Cause they're not far behind them right now, but do their additions combined with trading away Zimmer, um, you know, do enough for them to keep pace with Swift Current and Moose Jaw as they try to pull away into the top four? Yeah, like just looking back at uh, comments made on Twitter slash X by uh, the voice of the Kings, uh, Dustin Forbes, he kind of put put a thing out. He said, uh, Anholtz added a lot more offense and speed while also maintaining a two way two-way responsibility and he, and he writes who they got in that's sean chagall dylan sador colton lanko and the rights to 2008 prospect kai anderson not super familiar with his game so you guys might know more than me and then out chase pauls to prince george blake Swetlikoff back to kamloops tyson zimmer to vancouver dustin renis was released by by the team and then they lost the uh Wenatchee second round pick that they picked up in two seasons ago in the Chase Wheatcroft Braden Edwards swap, which has turned into a very good trade for Lethbridge. But uh, yeah, now they definitely get more you know more offense, um, but they're not making straight ads the way some other teams have necessarily. But they should be better. They should be certainly tougher to contain. But I'm I'm curious to see because there was a little more going out uh, in terms of current players than some of the other teams like Saskatoon, Swift, Moose Jaw, um, who made ads had to send out on their you know of their current veteran core. So we'll see how that ends up factoring in. But and, they didn't have to pay anywhere near the price. So and very similar if you look back to um, 2017. A main reason for the team having the success they had in the playoffs that year was Stuart Skinner. And you look at this Hurricanes team again, they have a top two, top three goaltender in this league in Harrison Menigan, who's been fantastic for that club this this season and who knows, could play his way into a professional contract and get drafted by an NHL organization at the end of the season here. But And he has the potential to steal you some games. Like... Looking back at uh, that 2017 series in the second round between Lethbridge and Madison Hat, Lethbridge was beat 
up. They were missing several key bodies from from that lineup, and Skinner had to stand tall against the dangerous Medicine Hat Tigers team, and he was able to do that. And it's a Stuart Skinner's a big reason why they beat that Tigers, why Tyler Wong even gets a chance to end that end that series in Medicine Hat in Game Seven. If they don't have Stuart Skinner, they they don't get to a seventh game. So that's kind of, that's kind of another parallel between that time frame. That 2017-2018 time frame is Lethbridge having a good goaltender. They're adding some offense that they need to be able to win that 2-1-3-2 game with with Harrison Manigan between the pipes. Yeah, I remember that. That Tyler Wong goal, just like it was yesterday. You know, I was watching that game and killing the, penalty, oh, yeah. killing the penalty in overtime, and I'm just like, okay, got out, dump and change, dump and change. And I was like, why aren't you – why aren't you changing? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, you went in the series. That's what you're doing. Oh, okay. But yeah, that was <laughs> that was something else. I was like, no, no. And then, you know, and there, there you go. I mean, that was a that was a you know huge moment in the the uh, you know the 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 rebuild of the the Lethbridge Hurricanes back to uh, back to a, 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 a real team after the after the hell they went through for a number of years and you know yeah. I've, after they were in the doldrums for quite a number of years. Well, we uh, we we've spent a significant amount of time talking about uh, all things Western League and hopefully touching on uh, your favorite team. You know, whoever you know the, is listening in to us. Uh, you, you, where can we uh, find your work, Nathan? Um, for all my stories for work can be found at uh, paherald.sk. .ca, that's the website for the Prince Albert Daily Herald. All of the content I write will go up there. And if you, if you still want to listen to me blabble, I also, in a spare time, do a podcast as well with James Tubb of the Medicine Hat News, and that is called the Two Paper Guys Podcast. If you if you would like to, if you if you need more uh, dub podcast um, to listen to, we we have we started that about a year not like in the summertime so we've had it going for about six seven months and and we do an episode when we can obviously our day jobs come first with uh myself with the daily herald and and james with the medicine hat news there but uh you you can find us there and we have all sorts of uh of discussions about about the western league if uh obviously the work sean and sean and chad here do is do is fantastic but if you're a dub super fan needing a little bit more uh whl discussion in your life we we got you covered over there a last thought i know we're going but uh, i'm always curious about this after the trade deadline's done now that the moves have been made and the rosters are set for any of you guys have the favorites changed or if you were putting your money down are you still looking at the same teams that you were looking at coming into this whole cycle of trades i think it stayed relatively the same like i always thought moostra was the from the start of the word go i like i i've liked moostra from from the start of the word from the from the word go this season i've liked moostra and i still think moostra to me kind of st- stands out in in the east i think swift with the moves on their blue line like i'm not as high on on saskatoon and go ahead blades prove me wrong but i like Moose Jaw, and now with the additions in Swift Current, I really like Swift Current. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Even with even with Saskatoon loading up, I mean, uh, 
and I, I don't suppose you you have a strong opinions on the on the Western Conference. Um, in in the Western Conference, Prince George was fun to watch when they were at the Hauser earlier earlier this year, and they're fast, they're skilled. They they can they can score on you like that, but Portland's also also very similar in that regard. You blank you blank and it's and TNT's playing at the VMC, so I don't have strong feelings either way. I just hope that we when we get to the playoffs that we get some very entertaining hockey and on uh, on both sides of the playoff bracket. Yeah, I for me, Chad. I don't know about for you. I I don't think the the Western favorites have changed at all. Um, you know, both got stronger, uh, both added some dynamic talent to their roster, but I think it's, it's seemed more and more like a two team race all year, even though the standings haven't provided that much separation yet from guys like Everett and Victoria and Wenatchee, although that's probably to come, but it still feels like those are the two teams to beat there, uh, out East. I think the, the race is tighter, you know, but Saskatoon was the favorite and added just as much as anybody did and some wonderful players. So I have a hard time not making them still the favorite going forward. I just think the road is a little tougher today with what Moose Jaw and Swift Current has done um, than it was maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, fair enough. What about you, Chad? Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to me in the in the West, it's, you know, what is the, the silver tips, you know, and I think that's a question a lot of us have been asking. I mean, you know, I'm sure that their fans listening to the show are, you know, pretty, you know, they, they feel they know, and they've, they're probably, you know, I mean, 24 and 14 at this point of the year. I mean, it's nothing, nothing to sneeze at for sure. And they've been, they've been, you know, keeping pace with the, you know, the top teams in the, in, in the division and obviously PG, you know, and we talked about them extensively about they're getting, you know, Cohen Zemer back at, you know, worth mentioning that Portland is currently, you know, playing their their fourth string goalie that you know they they signed off of the street basically. That you know he was, I think he was out of the league when they traded for him from uh, from Tri City, and and they've been finding ways to, to to score their way out of 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 goalie issues. They had an e bug on the bench for a few games here, and you know it's just tough to do in this league, especially in a you know a non traditional hockey market where you don't have guys you know, around that, that age to play goal. But, uh, so, yep. you know, they're, they're, you could look at that too, that once they get Ian Spoonar back, who was probably going to be a, you know, world junior goalie for, for the checks that, you know, that's like, again, like a big, you know, acquisition that that's coming here down the, down the line at some point, hopefully for them. But so that'll be interesting. And, and the they've, got, they do. they've got four games in hand too on Everett. They do, and they've got games oh, in hand oh. on on Prince George, and they've and that's been all all season. And I keep, you know, I would I would rather that that work its its way out. So you're looking at an apples to apples comparison, but so far so far we haven't got there. And you know, Portland makes a trip to uh, Prince George. I believe it's the 19th and 20th of uh, of this month here in, in in about 10 days time. So I'm pretty excited to to see what those games look like on video. Yeah, and a lot of teams will get their for some teams their big like deadline acquisition is coming from in-house they, they already got it it's just a, it's just going to be a guy returning from injury that's going to be their big ad like for prince george that's zemer 
Zimmer's going to be their their quote unquote big trade deadline ad once they once they get him back and. I think March is the earliest they're expecting. Might get a couple games under his belt before the before the postseason begins. Prince Albert didn't do anything seismic, but you got Ryder Richie and uh, Matej Kubiesa on the shelf right now. You get those two guys back. That's your trade deadline addition right there. So some teams are just hoping to to grow from within instead of uh, pay, paying an arm, a leg, and their firstborn for reinforcements from the outside. Yeah, you mentioned Hanzik for the Giants, kind of similar vein, but all right. Well, exactly. you know, we could we could end up talking all night if we don't uh if we don't stop it. So yeah. uh anyway, appreciate your time, Nathan, and uh and we'll you know make sure to subscribe to your local paper, everybody. Awesome. Thanks guys. <laughs>